0: Asia Tech Podcast. Voice of the Asian tech ecosystem.
1: We are live in the Asia Tech Podcast studio. My name is Graham Brown. I'm joined by J.W. Niao. J.W. Hi. Welcome.
0: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
1: Welcome to the Asia Tech Podcast studio. I'm uh, very curious about your background as an entrepreneur in retail. There's a number of successes there as well, and we're going to talk about your your more recent journey into the blockchain space, and Megarex, of which you're the co-founder. You, you know, you've achieved quite a lot. You're, you seem to be quite young as well. How old are you? Can I ask? Is that a rude question to ask on air?
0: No. It's, um, most, most of the time, I try to get them to guess, yeah. but I'll just hand it to you on a silver platter today. Please. Um, I'm turning 30 right. in two months, so um, 1988.
1: 1988? Yeah. Wow. I was 16 in 1988. That's the scary fact. But here's the interesting thing. You've already had a couple of exits and you are an advisor in many different companies as well. Do you see, I mean, in your sort of the circles that you operate in, do you see yourself as a bit of an outlier in terms of, you know, your sort of entrepreneurial background?
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've always been a bit of a deviant. Right. So um, I grew up, I grew up in school being the class clown and always at the bottom of the class grade-wise. Right. So uh, naturally for me, I didn't think that I would do very well in a more structured corporate environment. So um, I think I was 21 when I graduated from the National University of Singapore. Yeah. Um, I jumped right into entrepreneurship.
1: So did you ha- ever have, quote, a proper job? And
0: In that sense, no. Right, you never yeah. got
1: paid by somebody else to work for mm, another company. No,
0: I don't think anyone would have ever wanted to pay me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, you, when you graduated, did you know that you wanted to become an entrepreneur off the bat?
0: Um, I always knew that I was not going to fit into something that's um, so structured. Uh, yeah. I didn't know if I was going to be an entrepreneur or if I could even be a good one. Mm. Um, but uh, I, I got slightly inspired when I was in 21, 20, 2021, whereby I did a very short one-month internship in a startup. Mm. But uh, yeah, so that was my only job, if anything. Um, that led me to actually became a partner in that company for a while, mm. from an intern to a partner, quite a promotion. But that kind of gave me the confidence to do a lot more things on my own.
1: What was the company? Let's give them a shout out.
0: Oh, it's uh, I don't think they're around anymore. Yeah. It's called Flick Events.
1: Right. That was your yeah. start. So that speak. was my
0: that was the beginning of what, it all
1: when you joined that company did a was there a light bulb moment
0: um I think it I, I think it was more about um, who I was as a person like mm. a lot of my personality traits started to come out that like look I could be a deviant but when I believe in something I could really get down to being disciplined right. and driving it forward yeah. and that was something I never had I had no leadership position ever right yeah
1: so up until that point, Being a deviant was always sort of a a negative thing taught by school and society. But now you found it actually could be a bonus. Yeah. So there was
0: like suddenly overnight, I became such a, I I became a key driver of like projects Mm. of the general morale of the group. And I was like, hey, you know, I didn't know I could be capable of something like that.
1: Wow. It's a great story, isn't it? I wonder how, I mean, we'll we'll dive into it a bit more, how that inspires other people, especially younger or would-be entrepreneurs, because they're always, I guess, outliers. You know yeah. who are in a system which doesn't sort of reward that kind of behavior. Yeah. But when they see a role model of somebody who's turned that into a positive, I think for them that's really encouraging, isn't it? So we've got to get it out there. That's the point. Okay. All right. we'll, we'll come back to that in a minute. Let's talk about MegaX first. So, please, you know, um, we'll, we'll get the pitch deck pitch deck up in a minute, but please explain what MegaX is. Let's put it on the table.
0: Okay. So uh, MegaX is a blockchain project mm. um, started by the company that I work for called iFashion mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it is meant to be a token to be spendable on a retail network.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, you mentioned earlier on that um, a lot of my story is in retail. Mm. So naturally, um, that's where my passion lies. When I got into blockchain, I immediately wanted to think about how it could help the retail space.
1: Right. Okay. Okay. So we're talking about blockchain and retail. Let's talk about retail then, how you got there. Your history of retail is okay. quite extensive, given without, you know, with all due respect, your your young age, you've achieved quite a lot in retail. Thank you. What have you done? Let's put that on the table.
0: Okay. So um, I started my first company in 2014. That was actually an e-commerce company. Mm. Um, shortly after that, we found that e-commerce was not sustainable and uh, it needed it needed more in order to become a a uh, long term kind of uh, company longevity. Mm. So um, retail was one of the first things that I decided that we could get into. Uh, however, we got into it in a very haphazard kind of way, whereby we just like, oh, okay, let's do a pop up shop. Okay, and and we had no idea how to run a store. So the first day we the first day we opened our pop up store, I was the shopkeeper, I was the cashier. And I'm also the fixer for every bulb or every shelf that broke down in the shop. So uh, that journey went on for for three years from right. 2014. So, uh, from one store, we grew to nine.
1: Right. So give it a name, so people probably have heard um,
0: it. Yeah. So the, the 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 name of the retail brand is called Mega Fresh.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, most of you guys who have seen it probably bought something from us for Christmas or somebody's birthday.
1: Mm. Right. So it was, uh, I mean, I'm just looking down here, you had 25,000 square foot of retail and space, yeah. which is pretty sizable, isn't it? Because that's over the nine stores yes. you had. Where, where were these stores located?
0: Yeah. So our flagship was at Suntec City. There was a 4,000 square feet shop on the first floor. Yeah. Um, we were also in malls like Vivo City, Jurong um, Point, Westgate.
1: Mm. When you started out, that first pop-up, how big was that?
0: The first one was 700 square feet. 700 square feet. That's about
1: the size of an apartment, isn't it?
0: Yeah. So when we went to 4,000 square feet, I absolutely did not know what to do with the space.
1: Yeah. Why why did you grow to 4,000? Was it just like you were being forced because of the demand or you, you actually had this sort of grand master plan to do all this?
0: Yeah, I think I think I think it goes down to the story behind um, MegaFesh and mm. what it aimed to do as a retail brand. So uh, MegaFesh was actually a brand created, a retail brand created to help emerging designers showcase their products. Um, one of the things that we noticed with emerging designers then was that um, they were very good at designing and their craft, but they did not have the resources, not know how to get in to get their products in front of consumers. right. So, something like renting a shop, um, running a shop, um, getting it packaged and ready for retail was not something that they were ready to pay for or uh, had the time to do. So, we thought, hey, how about let's do that for all the emerging designers in the world. So, when we launched on our 700 square feet shop, I think we had something like 20 brands. Mm. But at our peak, we actually scaled up to 2,000 brands because we had brands writing in um, to us from Iceland, from Korea, from Australia. And people are just sending us their products from all over the world.
1: Right. What kind of products were they?
0: Um, mostly handicraft. Right. Yeah, because we, I mean, we wanted to champion unique and original design.
1: Mm. Mm-hmm. So why did they come to you? Why couldn't they go like AliExpress or what was it that you had that they couldn't get online with an e-commerce store?
0: I think, I think as far as, I think e-commerce as far as e-commerce goes, these brands kind of know what to do. It's, a, it's when it goes down to brick and mortar that they need mm. help. Because mm-hmm. the moment they talk to they don't have many much options. So, number one, you can open your own shop, but there's a lot of cost there. Uh, or you can go to the departmental stores whereby they are trained to have the best deal mm. for themselves. Yeah. So you have to have certain promises in terms of your sales performance, or they may not even, they may not even give you the margins that you need to break even.
1: Mm. And would they even consider these kind of handicraft manufacturers anyway? Because they're probably a quite low volume, small level. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So you gave them a platform. Yeah. And then you grew from 700 to 4,000, 25,000. Yeah.
0: And then we just kept opening more shops and more shops.
1: Yeah. And it was quite a fast journey, wasn't it? Because in 2017, you sold that company or you were acquired for three and a half million. Yeah. Who, Who acquired you?
0: Um, I Fashion Group, right? Okay, where, where, whereby um, I'm still a part of today.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So they obviously saw something. You you, you slot into their matrix of what you know. Yes. You they you gave them something that wasn't in their portfolio already. Yes. And were you building this when you started out, MegaFast, to sell it, or was that in your mind? At what point did that become a reality?
0: Um, so I think as far as um, entrepreneurship goes, a lot of entrepreneurs do think about an exit, but mm. it's always this grey thing whereby we are like one day we're going to exit, but we don't know who, we don't know how, and we don't know at what price. Mm. Yeah, and until then, we're just going to do our best every day and get the business to the best shape possible. So, that's kind of the way that I operated. Um, and when it came to um, the acquisition, the reason why it made sense to me then was the vision of that of the group that was acquiring us mm. and where I thought I could bring MegaFash to on a personal level. So um I liked the setup of the group I liked the other entities that they have acquired and I saw enough synergy mm. so I was like okay let's do it
1: yeah so they gave you wider distribution yes. and resources And what was it like? I mean, actually, when you were acquired, did you have to change your role? Was, you know, did you take a backseat in that? Because this was in a way like your baby, you grew this thing, right? Yeah. How Um, was that for you?
0: Yeah, I think M&A is always an interesting topic to discuss. Uh, For myself, I think I had, I I think I'm pretty fortunate in the sense that um, when they acquired me, they needed me to continue driving the business Mm. and they believed in me. So um, not only was I given more support, I was also given a role on the group layer, Mm -hmm. whereby I could personally get involved in more businesses. So I thought that was very enriching for me, both um, for my company and my shareholders and myself personally.
1: Yeah, exactly. Because that gives you that gets you to the next level. Yes. Right. Okay, And you have gone to the next level as a result of that. Right. Really, I mean, you've been involved in I'm just looking through your CV and it seems silly to even call it a CV, really. You know, you're not applying for a job <laughs> anywhere. But just what you've done since then, um, you're on a number of different boards of startups and, you know, everything from tech to retail. Well, how, how have you sort of spent your time since the acquisition? What have you sort of, have you consciously gone out and said, I'm seeking out projects now or mm. have they come to you? How has that worked?
0: Um, I, I think a lot, of, a lot of times they come to me. Um, simply because of the way we are positioned. So we are quite fortunate to be able to have a lot of access to new concepts in the market, both in mm. retail and in blockchain. And um, when you talk about involvement and how do I spend my time, I think that's the, that's, that's the most interesting part about entrepreneurship. So there are many levels. So the, one of the earlier levels or earlier stages is when actually you're trying to build a business and you're kind of the three-in-one kind of role.
2: Mm. Uh,
0: subsequently, it's about bringing the right people together to play that role. And then, and then after that, you get to the next level and the next level. So um, on a personal level, um, I feel like right now, I could easily commit myself to four or five projects and mm. none of the projects would get hurt. In fact, they benefit. So that's the important part. And that's the difference from myself, say, six years ago, mm. whereby I had to be 247 on one thing.
1: Mm. Mm. But now there's a sweet spot, isn't there, where you can be involved yes. but not involved you know, in terms of twenty four seven time, yes. right? And okay. I think
0: that's the that's the beauty of um that's the beauty of M and That's mm. the beauty of being open to not just to being open to something more than being a sole founder. Mm.
1: Um,
0: I think co founders, partnerships, um, taking a back seat sometimes allows you to do more and learn more.
1: Right. Okay. Well, let's talk about Mega X and let's talk mm. about your involvement with that. So maybe we can put that into context. We jump back into the pitch deck. So um, you have a... I mean, let's talk about. We've given it an introduction, but let's go deeper into what the problem is that you're solving, okay. right? Because you've had choice. As you said, a lot of people have approached you. Yeah. You can choose, pick and choose what kind of projects you want to be involved in. Was this a project that came to you or was this one that you started yourself?
0: Uh, Mega X. Yeah. Yeah, Mega X was something that I started myself. Um, at that time when I started it, I was an early investor in cryptocurrency mm. on a personal level. Mm-hmm. And I kind of saw blockchain as the next big thing, but it was always this abstract thing. Well, I was in the world of retail, so at some point I said, "Let's do uh, let's do a social experiment of sorts. Let's try to bridge it." Mm. And MegaX was kind of that working idea then. Obviously, right now it ended up having legs and being a project on its own. Right. But th- that was how it started.
1: So you had you you had investments in crypto, you were in the retail space, but there was no natural combination of the two. At what point did those come together?
0: Um, I think it's I think when when I actually saw some projects doing something called an ICO, an initial yeah. coin offering. And I was like, okay, so this is how um, various verticals are using blockchain mm-hmm. to disrupt itself. Mm-hmm. And and then we did the same thing for MegaX for retail.
1: Right. Okay, so what did you, I mean, explain what it is. What do you do?
0: Okay, so why why we created MegaX was that we did not think that um, payment in retail was sophisticated enough. Mm. So we wanted MegaX to be the fastest and the lowest transaction currency around. right? And that was that, it was that one single goal.
1: Right, to make a better payment system for retail. Yes. W- what's the problem now? I mean, I know you said mm. it, it's not fast enough, but it, yeah. it works, right? It or works. Not?
0: So, I mean, it works till it doesn't. So, right. um, as, as retailers, there are a few pain points that only retailers know. Mm. So, one example will be um, during festive seasons, um, payment gateway systems can break down. Yeah. So you have issues whereby it's Christmas, your queue is 20 people long, and Nets or MasterCard or Visa just will not go through. Um, another thing is that retail is, retail is being forced to reinvent itself right now. And the concept of a pop-up, a concept of an event-based kind of kiosk is something that a lot of retailers are taking on. However, the infrastructure is not ready yet. Hmm. So one example would be the fact that to... Set up a payment gateway such as uh, Nets and visa, visa requires something like a two thousand setup fee sometimes, mm. and it's just not feasible to set it up for an event. Right. So a lot of so that's why when you go out to a lot of flea markets and what's not, they're saying cash only, and cash only is a big problem because how many times have we all heard cash only? Yeah. And then we say okay, let's go to the nearest ATM and we give up. Yeah. So that's kind of what we're trying to solve.
1: Right. Okay. So let's review that. So. There's a growth in pop-up, you're saying at the moment, yeah. and those guys don't have access to the infrastructure. It's too yes. expensive or logistically, it's just yes. difficult, right? So along comes Megarex yes. and you're giving them a better infrastructure. Is it, I know you, it, it's, we're, we're moving into the blockchain crypto space. Is it? Is it based on crypto coins or is it an blockchain enabled or... Or does it actually pay out in real cash? I mean, just kind of help us understand that.
0: So, from the re- from the consumer um, perspective, um, when you acquire these tokens, obviously it's a cryptocurrency, mm-hmm. so its fluctuation can benefit you or not. Mm. Um, but for the retail end, simply because we know um, we know the progress of retailers and the market sentiment towards cryptocurrency, there was always going to be a way to convert it back to cash.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, why don't, you, I mean, I'm going to ask stupid questions because I don't know retail as sure. well as you do know now, JW. So what, why can't you go to like an Alibaba who, yeah. you know, they'll have an infrastructure. Yeah. And, you know, even when they have like the singles day, they can yeah. take like 60,000 transac- transactions a second, I yeah. think. or number. Why can't you use something like that?
0: Um, I think you can, but it's a matter of whether or not you have access to or not mm, and, right. and how much are you willing to pay for it so even for an e-commerce shop um, you could actually have your own payment gateway mm. whereby you have your own certification done you are allowed to collect credit card information um, subject to the fact that you are able to comply with MAS um, policy as to how you encrypt this information mm-hmm. But to have that process set up in place, I would say that that e-commerce brand or website needs to make at least one point five million in revenue. Right. Otherwise, you're stuck with PayPal, which you know is fifty cent plus three point nine percent.
1: Right. There okay. is no other option. Yeah. yeah. And that's that's a big margin, isn't it? Yeah. Can... So, so
0: the so... the gap is actually quite big. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
1: So are you targeting specifically that sort of like grassroots sort of pop up stores, or is that where you're just starting at this stage?
0: I think I think where we are going, we want to we want transaction rates to look something like. Wow. Yeah, whereby, I think as a retailer um, with rather significant revenue, Mm. um, the best deal we've ever seen on the table is I think 1.9%.
1: Right, in traditional... Credit card, yeah,
0: terms. with a promised revenue of something like five million going right. through. Right, okay, yeah, right, but yeah. for most
1: people, like you say, it's four five percent in total, if, isn't it?
0: Yeah, if you're new to the market and your store is doing something like five hundred a day, mm. you're paying a lot more.
1: Yeah, but you reckon you can get that down to 0.02? Um, or... yes,
0: using using blockchain, yeah, definitely.
1: Right, so that would then would it convert into crypto and then convert back into cash?
0: Um. There can be mechanics to make yeah. sure that the crypto portion is not even seen,
1: right? Because okay. that's
0: how kind of how we want it to be. We want yeah. to use the blockchain, but we don't want to confuse the consumers.
1: Right. So the consumer wouldn't know. They'd pay with cash. Get yeah. You know that's how it would work. It would be deducted from a cash bank account, but there would be a bearer, which would be the crypto Some, yeah. currency. Right. Yeah. Okay, interesting. So, how would that work if I was a retailer? Explain to me, you know, okay, so I'm a retailer selling handicrafts and sun tech. Yeah. I'm doing, you know, a few thousand a day at this yeah. stage. I'm just starting out. How, mm. how do I get started with this?
0: Um, I mean, obviously, when we are ready infrastructurally, mm. what we would do is to, to, so so the thing about a, a retailer that's, you know, doing two thousand a day too is mm. that not just in, in terms of the amount that we are you're willing to pay for payment gateway, but your infrastructure will not your hardware will not be ready to. Mm. So I will not be asking the retailer to buy a cash counter or a fanciful POS. Um our system will allow it to try will allow them to transform any Android device or any phone into a POS on its own mm. with a with a wallet on the chain. And then they can start using it to collect and mm. cash out. Right. So it's just pressing buttons at their end.
1: Right. And I can yeah. do it on my phone?
0: Yeah. So QR code, scan. Yeah. Okay, I've collected. I'll cash out.
1: Yeah. Right. I don't need any sliding thing or no, whatever. No,
0: not even that. Uh, we'll just use QR code.
1: Right. And that means the store could really be pop-up anywhere. Yes. Right. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. And, and do you think at some point that this will then move up the chain and then you can go into larger retailers like fixed retail and... They can start taking on this this infrastructure.
0: Yeah, I think as far as payment gateway mm. goes, uh, and and how we're disrupting it, um, on the traditional fintech side, the more traditional fintech side is already being disrupted with GrabPay. Yeah, um, in fact, any company now needs their own payment gateway. Mm. That's how kind of how payment gateway looks looks like. So, not only will every company have its own currency, mm. every company will also have its own wallet. Mm. That's kind of the future of the world.
1: Right. But let's say I was a, a visa, for example, yeah. I could say, well, actually, it's easier for me to acquire these guys and build my own, right? Is that sort of in your mind as like an exit strategy long term? Because I thought if you'd built out an infrastructure, yeah. you know, they yeah. could spend billions on building their own, right?
0: Yeah. So I think it depends on where the business is going to go. Mm. I think Grab has its own payment system. I think Capital Land is also building their own for a very obvious and strategic reason. Um, if you are looking at payments as Um, if you're looking at payments getting disrupted in the way that it would be in a large scale. You also think about how um, your business as a, as a whole can become tokenized. Mm. And um, a lot of your services and uh, what your currency does is not just money. Like you rethink the idea of money as a whole mm. and you think about currency as things like access keys, as rewards mechanisms. And then you have a n- whole new world out there that yeah. you can play with.
1: Yeah. And we're in inter- interesting space, aren't we, here in Asia? I think compared yeah. to, I mean, I'm from the West, obviously, originally. I think here in Asia we're a bit more advanced in these systems, maybe because there's less of a legacy, to be honest. But you know, look at what's happening in China, for example, with yeah. we, WeChat, WePay and so on. Yeah. Ali Pay. And we have here Grab and you know, yes. they're inventing their own payment system and so on. So it's a very interesting space. I think people looking from the outside mm. of Asia are surprised at how advanced we're going.
0: Yeah, I think in es- the payment space. especially China. Mm. I, I, I was there quite recently. Very forward looking. Um, for me I, I wish that Singapore could could learn a little bit, and yeah. we could move a little bit faster. But you're right. I think as a whole, Asia, um, especially Singapore, Hong Kong, China, mm. um, we're very interesting spaces to look at right now. Um, not just in terms of technological development, but blockchain as a whole as well. Yeah,
1: absolutely. So let's talk about yourself and the company. Are you raising funds at the moment?
0: Um, at the moment, uh, I would say no mm-hmm. because we we. We already have investors, and we are on our way to an IPO. Yeah, but I'm personally in, um involved and invested in projects that are raising funds.
1: Right. Okay. So. Let's sort of move that on a little bit to talk about your team then as okay. well, because, you know, I'm interested in who actually watches the show and then might want to reach out to you. So, I cool. mean, you're good for investment at this stage, but obviously you, you'll entertain a conversation yeah. as you w- would normally do, because, you know, all founders are always raising. Definitely. Right? So let's talk about your team as well. I mean, talk about your team and who you're looking to get on board. So maybe we can have a look at the team first. Um, if I can just flick forward to this slide on the pitch deck, you've got your team here. Yeah. Um, I'm going to ask you about how you guys met and then also what kind of people you're looking to join your team in future. What's the sort of mindset? Yeah. You know, not necessarily the hard skills so much because I'm probably guessing that working with somebody like you, you're yeah. probably specific about the kind of people that you want in the team. They're bringing in a certain way of doing things yeah. rather than having something on the CV, right? Yeah. So let's talk about your team first. Tell us a little bit about where you all met.
0: Cool. Okay, so... Um... I'll talk about Jeremy. Mm. So uh, Jeremy, is my mentor. I call him my mentor, um, even though he would never publicly admit to that. Mm. Um, we met about seven years ago. So we've been partners in four companies since. Mm. And we've always kind of worked together in that sense.
1: Where, where did he come from?
0: Um, he was actually... He was actually one of my clients at an early oh, okay. stage for one of the businesses I was involved in. Yeah. Uh, subsequently, from being a client, we became friends mm. and then partners. And uh, even when we, we were partners, he was already the CEO of and founder of another company. Mm, mm. So um, it's always been like that, our dynamic. Like we're always doing a couple of things mm. separately but together mm. and in a very um, involved manner. So that's um, a great
1: relationship though in the business, isn't it? He's got your back.
0: Yeah. I think, I think, I think when it comes to business, mm. um, the amount of zeros you add to the bag mm. affects, uh, at some point it changes, yeah. but I, I'm quite glad to say that, you know, we've, we've kind of been on the same board.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and how does that relationship work in the business with you two? Like obviously, you know, you're the founder or co-founder. Yeah. What is your role? Are you more sort of like out there? evangelizing, doing the media, doing the deals? And how how does that work with your relationship with him?
0: Okay, so I think both of us, um, we have some overlap in skill set. So we kind of just divide and conquer. Hmm. So like, I'll be like, look, I'll take care of this side of the business. Um, I can do operations, I can do strategy, I can do the inside, outside, everything. Hmm. And Hmm. you take care of this side of the business. Um, I would say though he's a lot more of a strategist than I am. Yeah. So a lot of the times when it comes to um, brainstorming and more long term thinking, uh, we do that together.
1: Yeah. Okay. Good. And the rest of the team?
0: Um. So the, okay. So interesting thing about interesting thing about my team is yeah. that um, a lot of my guys have been with me for three four years now, mm. and it's kind of always their first job. And they have no plans on leaving. <laughs>
1: That's a good sign. So, um, but how, how did you pick them? What What are you looking for when you pick them? Because obviously they didn't come. I mean, if they said it's the first job, yeah, they didn't have 15 years at Google or Facebook, yeah. right? So.
0: Yeah. So I think a lot of the time is about who I am as a person. Mm. And, um, I mean, I think, I think my story, um, of, uh, attracts a certain type mm. and, and, and and very similarly, right? Like not, I'm not everybody's type. So um, for myself, um, you know, the background that I came from, a very middle income kind, mm. uh, very underdog kind of uh, type, um, that's kind of who I am. Mm. And because of that, I invest in that type. So right. you, you can come to me and you know, you may not have worked a day in your life, but if I can feel the passion and I can see where you want to go and that drive, I'm happy to work with you.
1: Yeah. How, then, how do you identify that, JW? What is the sort of the, because everybody that's going to interview with you to yeah. say, yeah, I'm going to work seven days a week yeah. and I'm passionate. W- what's the sort of key giveaway signs?
0: Um, I think, I think it's a, I think they need to be a bit fearless. Mm. So when they, when they talk about what they plan to do and where they plan to go, it would almost sound absurd. You mm, know, it's like, deviant. do you really yeah. think you could do that? Do you really think you could fly to the moon? But um, having the courage to able verbalize that and make it real and own it and completely own that dream. I think that's something that really um, is, is one of the telltale signs. Mm. Um, the other thing is really in their energy levels. So very um, go-getter, a bit of a type A sometimes. Mm. You could feel them. You can you could even feel their presence already. Mm. Um, that That is another thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting, here in Singapore, what you described is is quite hard to find in many cases, it isn't is it? It its very hard to find. How do you go about that? Because, you know, if you went to the, the, the job portals, yeah. you're going to get a lot of job seekers. Yeah. With all due respect, you know, they yeah. don't know what it is to work for a company yeah. like X And they're going to come through the door yeah. and they're going to get a shock, right? Yeah. And it's going to be a waste of your time and a waste of their time in yeah. most cases. So how how do you find those people?
0: Well... To be honest, it's a lot of try and error. And mm. um, you're not wrong to say that a lot of people love the idea of being in a startup. So they come through our doors. And two weeks later, they are like, hey, this is not for me. Yeah. And I'm like, hey, yeah, I kind of see that too. Uh, yeah, but it's really hard to tell till you get started. Because you could have someone who's like, hey, you know, I'm not looking to hustle. But they come in and suddenly they're like, okay, you know what? I'm going to do this because yeah. like, this, is, this is my style. Um, it takes some time to come out. Uh, you you really need to try an up and get them into the job. Yeah, class.
1: exactly. And set the expectations when they join that this is going to be a test, isn't it? We're going to run you out yeah. for four weeks, see how you get on. Yeah. If it doesn't work out, we'll shake hands and move on, right? Yeah, something like that. Okay, interesting. So I I think it's fascinating that you know your approach to building a team, and it's absolutely right in, in terms of what you're doing. And you've, you've built a great team and you've got good mentors as well in yeah. place, which is good. Um, I'm thinking about, Let's sort of wind that back a little bit, just in rounding up. When you started out, I know you said you you didn't have your sort of entrepreneurial start until you left college, right, NUS. Yeah. But before that, you described yourself as a deviant. Yeah. You know, at what point did you really think that, you know, the the world of work was not for you? Was it when you left university or was it when you were younger, when you were a teenager? Because I want to sort of put that out there to people maybe going through that process now who might be thinking... Oh my god! I got to go to university and become an accountant or whatever yeah. it is, because my parents want me to become a doctor or yeah. whatever, and they kind of need a bit of encouragement. So, did you know at what point that you're going to take a, a different path?
0: I think I think I always knew since like maybe even 13. Um, I like I said I was a deviant, but mm. I'm I was very good at being a deviant. <laughs> so being the best deviant, right. um, let me know that I was not average. And if I had bad grades, it was a choice. Meaning I was, I'm I'm doing my best at being the worst.
1: Right. You weren't stupid, (laughs) you mean. You were actually intelligently doing badly at school.
0: Yeah. So, uh, and that was was me saying, hey, look, the opportunity cost of fun and skipping school is worth it. Mm. And I made that choice very consciously. And when it was time for me to sort of like pull out my socks and get my shit together, Mm. I did. Yeah. So um, you know, if anything, I think a lot of people, um, these days, especially looking at media, looking at the new job economy, looking at how anyone could be an influencer or an Uber driver mm. or make income online, is gonna encourage a lot of um deviant behavior and new ways of doing things. And um yeah, I truly champion doing anything that you feel like doing.
1: Right. And how do you deal with those those conversations that people have? Because it's great to follow your passion. It's great to you know take the different path, yeah. the road less traveled, right? It's good to do that and explore. However, there's a lot of conversations that those people have with people around them who yeah. will put doubts in their mind, isn't yeah. it? Like you know, you should maybe thinking about yeah. getting a proper job, yeah. thinking about your family, your education, yeah. your you know your CPF, and all those kind of. Yeah factors of normal life, how do you deal with those conversations? Because those are the ones that younger people maybe have less confidence. Because now now you have confidence, right? Yep. You've done this, you've achieved yeah. a lot of things. You can look back and say that was the right choice. Mm-hmm. But somebody who's thirteen doesn't know that, right?
0: Yeah. So I think I think for someone who is at that at that stage Um, it's going to be a hard question, but the question to ask yourself is, um, what does the human experience look like for you? And what are you driven by? Um, And I think you know that for a very young age. Like Mm. you would know if it's monetary, if it's um, credit driven, if it's about achievement and who you are. And if you can answer that honestly to yourself, um, honestly, then you kind of know where you need to go. Mm. And for myself, um, like I kind of knew certain things very early on. Um, I knew that going to entrepreneurship was a way for me to tell myself that I was not um, a loser, so to speak. Mm. And it was never about the money or um, how big I could grow or could I ever build an empire. Um, I came from a I came from a world whereby I'm used to people telling me no, mm. that I can't do it. Um, in school, um, for a long time, I was told that I probably could not graduate. Mm. And then, um, because I was from a very middle class background, um, when I started... Fundraising. I had absolutely no connections to start with. So my default answer was always no. And because the world was, the external environment was always telling me no, I had to find a yes somehow. Yeah. So that was kind of my inner drive.
1: Wow. Fantastic. JW yeah. Nyao, everybody. Co-founder of MegaX. Thank you so much for coming and sharing your journey with us and sharing some Thank background. you for having me. Yeah, it's been great and inspiring as well. You know, I, I think your, so. your story is a great story because, you know, I think the challenge that we have, JW, is that, you know, in the media there's a lot of narratives that are told. There's, there's narratives of success. Yeah. Which are, you know, we've talked about, or, you know, what the normal world defines yeah. as success. And then we have the sort of the entrepreneur narrative. But generally, you know, we all know Jack Ma. yeah and Mark Zuckerberg, but these are like celebrities. yeah. And th- there's a whole sort of like a middle layer of celebrity yeah. or entrepreneurs that people don't know about, yeah. but have done great things. And I think, you know, yourself coming in, sharing your story is one of those, right? So people can look to that and say, you know, a 13 yeah. year old can get inspiration. Actually, mm. it's okay. It's okay to think like this or do like this. It's mm. gonna work out fine.
0: Yeah, I mean, um, that's a very big compliment. Um, I, I like to think that I'm a work in progress. But uh, having said that, I think um, being an entrepreneur has taught me a lot. Mm. So even if I didn't, even if the path that I took did not turn out the way it did today, um, there was never a point whereby I said, like, I look back, I regret. No, never before.
1: Excellent. And what's the best way people can reach out to you? What's your preferred channel?
0: Um, you, can, you can reach out to me on LinkedIn. Yep. Um, otherwise, you can email me at um, jiawen, which is my name, at megax.io.
1: Excellent. We'll put all the details in the show notes. Zhao and Yao, thank you so much. Thank you. Excellent. That was awesome. You've been listening to Asia Tech Podcast. Find out more
2: at atp.show.